0: Coming to you direct from the heart of New York City all the way to wherever you are, you're listening to the VIP Jazz Report. Dan Rather once said, a college degree is the key to realizing the American dream well worth the financial sacrifice because it's supposed to open the door to a world of opportunity. Well, does the college degree still hold the key to the American dream? Is it worth the financial sacrifice and does it really open the world? or sorry, open the door to a world of opportunity in today's economy. Well, as parents, one of our greatest joys is to see our children do the very best they can. And one of the pinnacle moments in our lives is when they graduate from college. And that's the good news. But the tough news is actually trying to get them into college or at the very least trying to find one that suits them. As time goes on, it seems this whole college application process seems to get more complicated, more competitive, and more convoluted. And to help decipher this college admission code, I have Eric Greenberg from the Greenberg Educational Group. Eric is a leading college advising, test preparation, and tutoring expert. He graduated from the Fieldston High School in Riverdale, New York, and went on to study at the prestigious Wharton Business School. Welcome to the show, Eric.
1: Welcome. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Vip.
0: So you're quite a small little man, eh?
1: I I try occasionally.
0: Well, I have a PhD in total ignorance. Uh, Well, welcome to the show, and tell our listeners a little bit about the Greenberg Educational Group.
1: Sure. Um, The Greenberg Educational Group has been around since 1991, and my team of 20 and I specialize in test preparation, academic tutoring, and we do a lot with strategic advising for high school college and graduate school and we help families really understand how to navigate themselves through this ever difficult process
0: why is it becoming more and more difficult
1: well I think it's becoming more difficult for a couple of reasons I think number one the escalation of college tuition Mm -hmm. uh, is definitely a big factor Um, as you might know college tuition is increasing about five or six percent a year on average at least in private colleges where the inflation rate is much lower so from a financial point of view that's a big issue additionally and very very importantly many competitive colleges in the United States are experiencing unprecedented number of applications so you essentially have many more applicants than a couple of decades ago and the same number of spots so that's where the supply and demand problem comes in
0: now with the Greenberg Education Group, you get a lot of parents coming in. What are their greatest fears when they are deciding the best college for their child? What, what do they come to you with?
1: I think the greatest fear that they have is that their son or daughter will not be happy in their college and need to switch and And a parent really wants their son or daughter to be happy for the four year period to grow academically to grow emotionally and to really end up being a more mature adult ready to take on the world, so to speak, four years later.
0: They come to you because they want their kid to be happy.
1: They they come to us because they want their kid to be happy. Mm -hmm. And and happiness um, has a lot of different definitions. For some people, happiness is about the ranking of the college. For some people, the happiness is about job opportunities. For other people, it's about social growth. For other people, it's about being on a certain sports team, and and as many reasons as one can think of are reasons why people would look at a college for quote-unquote happiness. It Mm. is really specific to the individual, and what we are able to do is help families sort out what are the things that are most important for them and really follow their lead in that way.
0: You know, it's so strange because in the old days when we were young men, we were being groomed for a college and a career. And, and now it seems to be in reverse because we seem to be looking for a college that's the best fit for our kids. You know, when I was young, I was told that if I was clever, I'd be a doctor. If I was average, I'd be a dentist. And if I lacked a pulse, I should consider being a CPA. Uh, right. But, I mean, are we doing the right thing?
1: Well, I think we are doing the right thing because, after all, the tuition that most families pay for college is probably – in many cases going to be the second largest expense that they will have outside of their home and where they live. So the the financial investment is very, very high, and I think in many ways it should really be kind of an equal equation, so to speak, between the student's needs and wants and the parent's experience Mm. um, of of what they see in their kids and so forth. I think it has to really be a joint decision. I think that in, in many cases, a lot of students are looking for many more specialized options these days, whether it's STEM-related or whether it's pre-professional. And we have many more families coming in now uh, than over the past years asking about job opportunities that might or might not be created by being at a certain college or majoring in a certain area.
0: Well, what's the new reality of college admissions that prospective parents and students need to be
1: aware of? The, The new reality of college admissions is that it's not about the umbrella school as a whole, it's not about the generic ranking of the school, rather it's about what a student studies at a school. For example, is a student going to study business, is a student going to study accounting or nursing or art history or English? So many years ago, ten, twenty years ago for example, families would often say, okay, the school will help shape the students so all we have to do is find a school that's highly ranked and everything else will fall into place mm. all the ducks will be in a row whereas today what a lot of parents are doing is is saying well you know the ranking is important but you know if it's not the right major if it's not the right focus if the internships not quote unquote right so to speak um, then the student might not have the options that they would have otherwise expected so they're coming in asking more questions about the return on investment than in previous years.
0: Now, if I, I have a son, he's fourteen, um, and it won't be long before, obviously, he's going to be doing the college application process. Now, if I was to employ Greenberg Educational Group uh, and to employ your services, um, I'm, I'm looking for value for money, and I, I, I I'm, I'm, I want the best school for him, not the best fit. Uh, am I thinking wrong? Because. Um, he can go to a state school, but I want to employ you to get him into Harvard.
1: It, it's, it's a great question, and one that, that my team and I grapple with a lot. And if a family comes to us and says that the sole goal is to get into the highest-ranked college, mm. we would respectfully decline to work with them unless, unless those highly-ranked colleges also happen to be a very good fit. So we're not in the business of placing kids based upon rankings in a vacuum. If it turns out that the ranking of the school is high and if the student is compatible with the school in terms of social fit, in terms of how he or she will prosper, Mm. then that's great. But we look at it holistically. We're pragmatic, but at the same time, it's a four-year experience that is likely to change the student. So if it's just about rankings, it's not really what we like to do.
0: You know, what I find is um, uh, a lot of my friends, their, their, their kids are roughly about to enter into college. They don't know what they want to do. Now, I accept that. That's fine. But based on that, that they don't know what to do, I might as well want to send them to the best college around so that at least when they go for a job, they have a great college stamp their resume and and that's where, as a concerned parent, I'm coming from, because you know we, we we live in this age where we think the kids know everything, and and when we were young, we were told we know nothing
1: well it, it's it's an interesting angle and it's an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Um, what we feel though, for example is is this that would be equivalent to saying in many ways that the most expensive car is necessarily the best car. And for some people it might be the case, some people the second, third, fourth, or fifth, or even 50th most expensive car might be the best. Hmm. The the idea would be that if a student goes to a very highly ranked college just for the sake of going to a highly ranked college and doesn't really – fit well with the other parameters of the school then there's a very good chance that the student's grades will suffer there's a very good chance that the student will be emotionally unhappy and there's really no greater uh... problem that a family would want to face than a student being unhappy during the college years
0: yeah but you know um... being unhappy is life i mean uh... if he's going to a great school and he's unhappy because everyone's extra competitive, it could be a flip side, and he's actually motivated to actually rank alongside uh, the best of the competition.
1: And, and that's, that's a point that's very well taken, Vip, and what we tend to do, and, mm. and my team of 20 and I do a lot of this advisory work and see students who sometimes need that extra jolt of, of motivation, so to speak. Nicely and we put. do feel that for most students that they should be in an environment that's slightly more challenging Mm. um, than they would consider ideal, because a lot of students will say, listen, why should I work more if I can work less? So usually the the kind of mindset when we do the advising for colleges, grad schools, and so forth, is maybe a school that's a little bit harder than the student would typically want, so to speak, and then the student will often grow into it accept the challenge and quite frankly you look to your left, you look to your right and a lot of students will meet the challenge based upon who the competition is.
0: Well, Let's talk about you know places like high school Um, and this is usually a sore point among my friends. Um, Parents who are financially able generally prefer to send their children to private schools as opposed to a public school. So in turn do the colleges prefer private to public schools
1: it's a great it's a great question and you know we have the opportunity to see and meet with a lot of families from all across the united states and internationally as well and i think that a lot of parents who decide to send their sons and daughters to private schools um... do so for many reasons sometimes they do it because they don't perceive that the public schools in the geographic area are as good as the private schools in some cases there is a thought that inherently a private school will lead to a better college. Is that thought valid? I'm sorry?
0: Is that thought valid?
1: Um, It can be. It can be. But I would flip it around and I would also say that there are many cases where the right public high school could lead to a better college than, quote-unquote, the wrong private school. In other words, there are many public schools that are greater and better than private schools, many private schools that are better than public schools. So I think to make a categorization that that the kind of bucket, so to speak, of private schools is better than public or public better than private overall is really not something that's fair to make.
0: No, but I'm not uh, asking you to make that, but I'm saying obviously you must be in touch with a lot of college admission tutors. Um, Do they prefer a private school?
1: Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I I think that if the question were asked of a lot of, you know, a very large sample of college admissions officers, Hmm. I think what they would say is they would be looking for students from a significant, diverse number of high schools. And I think more important than whether it's specifically a private high school or public high school is they'd like to get students from many, many different schools. And in addition to that, what they look at is they look at the quality of education as well. Very often, by the way, when admissions officers take the time to visit high schools, they will often sit in on classes in the high schools mm-hmm. to really get a sense of what's going on. So it's it's really about the idiosyncratic feel of the classroom at that particular school than whether it's public or private. However, However, if an admissions officer is looking at an applicant from a private school versus a public school and isn't very familiar with both schools in many cases a very good inference could be made for example that in the private school the classes are much smaller so there's something to be said for more individualized attention but that can vary a lot from school to school
0: so assuming two candidates have the same grades uh, the private school is given a little more attention
1: I would say in, in many cases, yes, but I, I wouldn't say that that has to be the case.
0: No, no, time. no, not at all, not at all. It's but but I,
1: think, I think it would be fair to say that the private school is thought of in many ways as being a slightly more intimate type of education, and therefore the student might have been exposed to a wider range of academics, et cetera. So in many cases, um, you know, that could win out, but certainly not in all cases.
0: Of course. Um. Do colleges operate a quota basis? Like, you know, in order to be not accused of being too preferential towards one particular segment of society, whether it's private school or race or whatever, or gender, um, do they operate a quota basis? Like so many, we're only going to have this percentage from a private school and then this percentage from a public school.
1: Not not really. I mean, some schools are going to be more attuned to the... Data points than other schools, but what colleges know is that they want a wide variety of many types of students, so mm. whether it's based upon the geography of a student, the socioeconomic status, the ethnicity of a student, different colleges put different weight on each, but usually it would be very, very surprising if there were a absolute quota with regard to that. Some schools, though, for example, are much more regional geographically. Some are much more national. Mm. So there are trends from school to school, but very rarely would a school have a quota per se.
0: Now, does a high school's reputation matter, or does the performance of the student
1: matter? That's a great question. I think it's really a combination of both. Mm. I think the high school reputation is exceedingly important to the colleges because the colleges then can look back at previous students who have gone to that college from that high school and see how well they have done. So certainly the background information, so to speak, that they can get from prior students is extremely valuable. With that being said, there are a lot of colleges that see applications from students from high schools Hmm. about which they're not particularly familiar. So there's a limited amount that they can no, at that point, so what they might do is they might call the school, speak to the school, find out a little bit more about the inner workings, and really see how much the student has done within the constraints of, of the school surroundings.
0: Yeah, I was thinking of, you know, like sort of the, uh, the slightly deprived areas where, you know, the schools are not very well known, but you have a few students who are very good, uh, very conscious, and, and are going to do well but do they stand a chance with the upper-crust colleges?
1: They, they definitely do, yeah. and, and you know the, the situation that you are referencing um, you know, has changed since the Common Application came out a number of years ago, and the Common Application is essentially an application that a lot of colleges in the United States utilize so students don't have to start from scratch each time applying. Mm-hmm as a result the colleges are typically getting many more students from many more high schools than they used to get right. so they're seeing students from a greater variety of schools and what that does is that allows opportunities for students who might not have been on the radar screen or might not have applied years ago so it's helped really balance the scales quite readily
0: now the application process i was saying you know it, it's becoming so much more complicated um, you have I guess you have the GPA, you have the uh, the, the test scores, um, then they've got to do this essay um, in their resume. They've got to have a little bit of community service, some sort of sports activities, um, extracurricular activities, and everyone looks their best. What's important for these students to focus on?
1: Well, it it differs depending upon the college, and and one broad-based way to look at it is the way private colleges admit students versus the way state schools or public schools admit Mm -hmm. students for college. The private colleges, on average, tend to spend more time reviewing the application than do the state schools based upon financial ability to staff X number of people. So what happens on the private college side of things is there really are three buckets that are looked at. One bucket would be the academic grades. Mm -hmm. Another bucket would be standardized test scores, for the sake of argument, SATs and ACTs. And the third bucket would be the subjective factor, which could include extracurricular community service. It could include what the students do during the summer. In that third bucket, which we'll call the subjective bucket so to speak, Mm -hmm. the reality is that bucket is extremely important to colleges because the colleges are not just looking for numbers. What the colleges are looking for is students who will be a good fit at that particular college. And a part of it is their academic smarts, but a lot of it is how they will interact with the other students, how they will interact with the community, and quite frankly, what type of ambassador they will be after they graduate for the many decades post-college.
0: Now, a lot of these students pad their resume, which is a very natural thing. We've all done it. Um, but when you say community service, it's about the community at large, just not within your own um, minority of a community as such.
1: It, it couldn't really be either. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, because the doing it for
0: your own community is the easy way
1: out. Um, I, I wouldn't use the word easy way out. I think that, that every community that needs community service will benefit by having students being involved. Right. So if somebody does community service a half mile from home versus they travel to uh, you know, a different state or a different country, mm. um, the colleges really don't look at that much differently. The, the idea really is, is the student doing something that shows dedication, Is the student giving up his or her time to do so? And also, very importantly, is there consistency among the community service? So the colleges tend to value the consistency. For example, if a student has worked with, say, animals in ninth grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, Mm. that begins to create a bit of a narrative. So the colleges like to see consistency. They like to see things that kind of build upon each other. And the whole idea of a student doing 20 different things with a very little amount of emphasis on each is not really what the colleges are looking for. They're not trying to stifle creativity, but at the same time, they do like passion, consistency, and a narrative that's really woven together.
0: You see, sometimes when I get applications for jobs from uh, graduates, um, I'll have Asian graduates doing Asian community service, and I can tell... That either their mother or their father is sort of closely involved in this whole Asian and I, I'm looking for community service that goes outside into the outside American community that to me shows that they're actually giving up time
1: well there, there's definitely you know in in, in my mind there's mm-hmm. definitely a need for community service you know outside the local area mm-hmm. but I wouldn't in any way I think a college would look down upon community service in the local area in fact i think both are very important with that being said if a student is going to travel to do community service and perhaps give up you know three, four, five weeks during the summer to travel when perhaps they could have done a lot of other things then that could very well attract the college's attention because they're taking time that they could have done a lot of other things and dedicated it for this purpose But typically, colleges are not making a judgment as to where the community service is done as much as the continuity of it and how vested the student is in it. For example, if students are working with kids with various challenges, that might lead to a certain career direction. Maybe the student will want to be a medical doctor or a scientist, et cetera. So they're looking for ways that they can kind of link past experience with predicted future experience as well.
0: Now, as part of the application process, I know I had a few friends who had managed to sort of um, convey to me the sort of stress they had when they were filling out this whole application scenario for the college. One of them was the essay that they had to do. And I was led to believe that, you know, the child did the essay and then it sent around to 10 different people. Everyone comes back with a different comment, blah, 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 blah. Now, what do the admissions tutors think when they receive this? Because do they already know that this would have been adjusted, corrected, and it's, And can they tell if this is not really the student writing?
1: The, the admissions officers at colleges mm. are extremely savvy at detecting who the writer of the work is. Right. And if it's written by a third party, whether a parent or an outside source, the chances are very, very good that the college admissions officer will detect that, and that certainly will not work in the favor of a student from an admissions point of view. The key issue with the application essays is that they function in many ways very much like an interview. Right. And fewer and fewer colleges are interviewing For admissions, and fewer and fewer colleges are taking the time of admissions committees and admissions offices to do the Mm interviewing. So, in many ways, over the past five, ten years or so, what has happened is that the application application essays have basically become, so to speak, what the interview might have been ten or twenty years ago. And the application essay is not about the cerebral nature of the student as much as it's about the student being conversational, the student talking as if he is speaking with his uncle or aunt, so to speak, or she is speaking with her uncle or aunt uh, in a living room during a holiday. It should be informal. It should be normal speak. It should not look to use fancy words from the most recent vocabulary test. It should be real. And colleges in this kind of technological age where so many students are spending so much of their time texting and using other electronic media are looking for kids who can speak and talk and converse in a way that they might have prior to the technological revolution of of twitter and some of the other uh, options. Those are great options to have but students seem to be speaking a lot less with each other verbally.
0: Now talking about the resume, do unique sports help an application like field hockey, lacrosse, fencing?
1: It, it can. You know, there really are two categories that we look at when we look at sports. Mm. We look at sports in terms of students who might be competitive or might likely be on the team for that particular college. And then, of course, that has a lot of value to the college. Mm. Um, then we also look at a lot of students, for example, who do participate in high school sports who either have no interest or might not respectfully have the ability to play on that college team. So in the second case, where the student is playing in high school but is unlikely to play in college, the reality is even though they're not playing in college, it still shows commitment. Mm-hmm. It can show leadership skill skills. It could show the ability to be somebody who grows from maybe somebody sitting on the bench in ninth grade to somebody who's a starting center in basketball in eleventh grade. So the narrative behind how they have grown on the team could be very important, too. Keep in mind a lot of these skills are, you know, not just about sports per se, but about life skills as well. So the colleges are looking to really glean and gather uh, what those, you know, skills are.
0: So what I'm taking away from this is that doing something unique is good because it can attract the interest of the admissions tutor. And as long as you can substantiate it and explain it well, it does help.
1: It it typically does help. And and to follow that point, which is a very good one, is the college will also in many cases be looking to see if the student is likely to continue along that path. Mm -hmm. So the win-win situation, so to speak, is if a student really loves doing something in high school, is interested in continuing that same endeavor in college, and if that is demonstrated through the application, et cetera, then it's really a long-term benefit to the school and to the college, so they tend to look at that even more closely.
0: Now let's talk about the college admission uh, terminology. You have acceptance, you've got a wait list, and you've got a deferral. I understand the acceptance. What does wait list mean? What does deferral mean?
1: Sure, well, they they mean different things at different schools, but let me start if i may with the waitlist and and you know what what the waitlist really is it's a college saying listen we're close to accepting you but we really can't at this point so typically at many colleges in march or april or so when they are finalizing their admissions decisions what they will do is they will look at a certain number of students and say they're quote unquote near misses they will waitlist these students they will notify that the students are Waitlisted, which really means that it's pending. What the college is essentially saying is, we don't have the spot now, but if there is attrition, if not everybody who we take decides to go, if fewer people who we take decide to go, et cetera, et cetera, we might then very well go to the wait-list, and then you could have a chance, for example, to get in mm. in May, June, July, et cetera. And we've had students, for example, interestingly enough, who've, accepted spots off a wait list within a few days of when they were planning on going to a different school. So for some people, um, they want things kind of wrapped up and, and, you know, the whole gift tied up in a bow, and they want to know by the time they graduate high school, what school they're going to. Other students are saying, listen, if the school's right for me, and if they tell me, you know, end of July or August, um, you bet I'll be there.
0: But you can accept another college.
1: Yes, okay. yes. and And in fact, not only can you but you really should Mm. and and the reason why is it's very very unpredictable whether a school will even take students from the wait list and it's also unpredictable if they do how many so the very very good wisdom behind that Mm. is really to accept the top fit that the student has gotten into and at the same time they could certainly be on a wait list as well Um, With regard to what you asked about, deferral, that term is is used a little bit differently. Very often if a student is applying under, say, an early decision or early action plan to a school, very often if the school is not ready to make a decision at that point, they will give them a deferral, which means they're essentially putting them in the regular pool, and then they will typically decide on that candidate um, yes, no, or wait list in the sprint.
0: With these scenarios, if, if I was applying and I got put on a wait list, can I then negotiate with them and say, you know what, okay, you're, you're, rather than uh, be in, in, in limbo, how about we negotiate that you confirm me for next year and I have a year out and I go traveling?
1: Some Some schools will do that, mm. but not so much as a negotiation. What some schools have would be what would be referred to in many ways as delayed admission, for example, there's some schools right now that are notifying students as we speak, and they're saying, "Listen, for the fall of two thousand and fifteen, we don't have a spot, but if you want to start at our school in January of two thousand and sixteen or in the fall of two thousand and sixteen, as long as you do x, y, and z, then we'll take you at that point so the schools know that they will have a certain number of students leaving. They will know that there will be certain attrition. Hmm. So this way, so they don't have to scramble last moment to get students, this way they will know, kind of like an early investment, they will know students who will be coming down the road. So some schools do that, but that's typically not a negotiated point. But along those lines, with regard to the wait list VIP, there are a lot of things that a student can do if he or she is waitlisted. Hmm. And if a student is waitlisted um, and is interested in attending that particular school, really the worst thing to do is nothing. It's extremely important to the colleges typically that the student shows some reasonable interest in the school. So, for example, a student might want to visit that college campus and if they've been there before, maybe revisit the college campus. But you have to let it them
0: know be- you're visiting, right?
1: absolutely absolutely and and you know they might want to sit in on a class at the school they might want to do an overnight at the school they might want to spend a day or two at the campus just to get a sense of the surrounding area Mm. and the the way to really address this is that you know students will often say how the heck is a college going to know whether i've been there you know this late in the admission season Mm. and and the answer is colleges will typically be very comfortable in accepting updated information from a student. Sometimes it's mailed in, uh, sometimes it's emailed in, et cetera, but colleges typically like to see updated information. So if a student does uh, end up on a wait list and does some of these things to further demonstrate active interest, following up with a letter or an email can in many cases make the difference. And we've had a lot of students, by the way, um, who have gotten in off waitlist very very soon after being waitlisted, based upon the quality and the depth of interest that they've shown in that particular school.
0: So you have to stalk them.
1: I I don't know if i would use the <laughs> word stalk them. What uh, <laughs> what I would say is is let's let's view it as being appropriately persistent. How's that?
0: That sounds beautiful.
1: Yeah, I, I'm not you know I, I'm not saying I'm not saying that different schools you know don't respond differently to certain things but you know two issues that are important you don't want to underwhelm them by doing nothing you don't want to overwhelm them uh... by sending uh... gifts you know so so the idea is it has to be appropriate it has to be relevant and it also has to be timely and i think those are three things that are very very important in the equation uh... that has to be done but you know the student has to understand the reality of the situation that some colleges will have a wait list, not take any students, and other, one, other colleges will take a significant number. So, um, you know, it's, it's really hard to predict in many ways.
0: You could also say my parents are very loaded, and they will contribute to their fundraising efforts.
1: Well, you you could do that, and, and you know, there's a very important component to it. and And, you know, number one, you know, most of the population... Understandably, you know, doesn't have the means to do that. And number two, a lot of schools, you know, won't play that game, so to speak. Some do, some don't. Mm. But I, I think a very important item along those lines is that if a student is waitlisted, and let's suppose a student gets into his or her college in June or July, if they need financial aid, they might not get as much financial aid at that point as they would have gotten if they were admitted a couple of months earlier. So, because colleges typically allocate a certain amount of money per academic year.
0: So does financial aid affect your chances of admission?
1: It can, it can. Wow. You know, there, there's some schools out there where it doesn't, but mm. the vast majority of schools it does. And And the reality of the situation is that for every full paying student that a college has, it very often allows extra students to go who are not paying full tuition. So in many ways, the people who are paying full tuition are, in effect, subsidizing and allowing for the ability of people who don't have the means to go. So that the, the whole idea of financial aid affecting of admissions, I know it's a very um, you know controversial subject. But, no, but that's but, life.
0: You know what? I mean, it, it's unfair, but I guess you have to get used to it. So does that mean... Uh, Those who are asking financial aid are probably the ones who usually are in the the deferral or wait list? No, no,
1: I I wouldn't say that at all. Mm. What what I would say, though, is that if you looked at, say, a typical private college, Mm. and and if you had two candidates who were equally able academically, perhaps from, say, the same area uh, demographically, and if one needed full financial aid, the other was paying full tuition, I think that – The person who is paying full tuition would likely get a few bonus points, so to speak, in the admissions. But I think to turn that into a kind of all-or-none situation um, is not really the case. I think it's on a spectrum, Mm -hmm. but it's certainly one of the factors that comes into play. Not in every college's case, but in many of them.
0: The the fourth part of the admissions is when you get rejected. Can you do anything after that?
1: Well, you know, there are processes at many schools um, to appeal a rejection. Mm. Um, Quite frankly, in the uh, 24 years that that Greenberg Educational Group has been in business, we've never had anyone successfully appeal a rejection. And from what I hear from my colleagues and my peers, I don't know of any cases where that has happened. So it is something that's available. It just doesn't seem, uh, from what I've heard, to be something that somebody should hold out much hope for.
0: Now you meet with the college admissions personnel. Yes, we do. What do they say? I mean, are they seeing increasing competition from uh, international places like China, India, Brazil?
1: Yes, and in, in, in fact, a very, very um, important part of what college admissions officers are dealing with is they're dealing with applicants from a much greater variety of, of cities, countries et cetera, um, not only within the United States, but also internationally as well. And at many colleges, the number of international applicants is dramatically increasing. And many schools, whether it's from international candidates or candidates from the U.S., many schools have double or triple the number of applicants that they had 20 or 30 years ago. So a lot of the elite colleges, a lot of the better colleges are experiencing a dramatic increase in applications. Mm. There are some colleges out there that are a little bit less competitive perhaps or might not be as well known that are not getting as many applications as they had in recent years.
0: So is that a bigger problem for our students in the U.S.?
1: Well, I, I wouldn't call it a problem. I would call it a reality mm. i would call it a reality and and you know the term we used before the new reality of college admissions right um... given that many colleges are not increasing the number of seats and given that you have many more applications both from the u.s. and internationally what that does for virtually every candidate is create increased competition so mm-hmm. what it does is it it makes people Think about trying to figure out how they can differentiate themselves from other students and and that's why quite frankly my team and I are busier now than we've ever been before because students are eager to find out how they can differentiate themselves from the other many thousands of people applying to the same school typically
0: so is that what you specialize in
1: it, it's one of the areas where we specialize we do a lot of test preparation um, with regard to SATs, ACTs, graduate level exams as well. And do you see a
0: significant change in progress from when they came to you and when they leave?
1: We we see a very significant uh, increase because most of the work that my team and I do is individual, is one-on-one. And we tailor our instruction to the strengths and weaknesses of the student. We do a tremendous amount of work in person throughout the U.S. and also internationally, but we also do a lot via Skype as well.
0: Now, talk me through the actual college process. Um, you're saying that the colleges are interviewing less. They, they they work on the essays and things like that. But the students actually need to go and visit colleges. So how do you know which colleges to visit? When should you start?
1: That, that's, that's a great question, and, and certainly an issue that has changed over recent years. Many parents of college-age students look at it through their own lens. They look at what they might have done, say, 20 or 30 years ago, Mm. where they might have applied to five or six schools and then visited a few of them they got into and then make the decision as to where to attend. What's happening today is students are typically applying to many more schools. And because the acceptances are harder to come by in many cases than they were in years past, students typically have to prepare earlier for the college process. So we, for example, have a lot of ninth graders with whom we meet about the college process. We have people coming in ninth grade, tenth grade, eleventh grade, twelfth grade. but, but you more start more as
0: early one. as the ninth grade
1: we We do, we do, and it's 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 not because of anything but the demand factor. You know, the fact that schools have become much more competitive, Mm. the fact that schools have become much more costly, the fact that competition is at an unprecedented level at many competitive schools makes parents understand that if they're going to make the significant investment that they are going to make, they might as well get the best return on investment that they can. And whether the return on investment is based upon the job they get, whether it's based upon happy the student is whether it's based upon how they grow socially different people have different you know kind of rubrics or models for uh, counting you know the return on investment but um, to each his own the, the the big picture item is that with competition as great as it is preparation is key and that's why families are starting much earlier now
0: no but ninth grade you're 14 uh, when you go to university um, college you're 18 so in those four years you the, the child um, becomes a different person. So Correct. how would they know at 14 what they like? And how will I know for sure that when he's 18 that he'll still like what he liked when he was at 14?
1: Well, that that's a great question. And the the issue is we're not having ninth graders come in and saying, oh, this is where I'm applying to school, going out and buying 50 sweatshirts with that school's name on it. What happens is they begin to learn about the process. They begin <laughs> to learn about... Testing that's com- coming up, they begin to learn about certain colleges that they might want to visit. For example, they might want to visit colleges that are very urban. They might want to visit rural colleges. They might want to visit colleges that are suburban. So, in the ninth grade, it's less about the specific name of a college, right. and it's more about the process. It's more about what's coming up down the road. And looking at schools that fit into a lot of classifications, whether it's public, private, large school, small Mm. school, very sports-minded, not very sports-minded, whatever the case may be, um, the fact that there are many criteria to take into account are the types of things that students should begin to look at um, kind of holistically in ninth grade. And then as they get to 10th grade, 11th grade, et cetera, they hone in and then a list of schools really emerges. But Mm. at least in this way, they're not taken by surprise and it, it in many ways quite honestly lessens the intensity the rigor and the stress of the junior year by starting early and we work with a lot of international students as well and international students typically visit even fewer u.s. schools before applying so it's very very important in the planning stages uh... to figure out um, you know what schools might be best because a lot of international students based upon traveled cost, travel distance, etc., might end up seeing even fewer schools than somebody who lives in the U.S.
0: You talked about return on investment. I get that. But when I'm sending my son through college, that's an investment. My return on investment would be that he get a a job mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in a great organization and he started his career. Um, so towards the end of his college career, how can I determine which of these colleges um propel their students into great organizations?
1: Well there, there are a couple of ways to look at it. Mm. One way to look at it would be to look at the colleges from which the employer is hire and the statistics in terms of
0: Where are they available?
1: Well they're they're not they're not mandated to be available but what a lot of companies do is they will publish a list of the schools where they recruit the most students mm-hmm. so there, there's no kind of open database so to speak where the information is available but a lot of recruiters tend to go back to schools where they've seen very very successful um, applicants so one thing that we recommend that families do if they're thinking about the uh... you know employment side which is you know extremely important of course is yeah. when they visit the colleges It's very important that they go to the career planning center, that they ask questions about how it works, how early the students get to see them, and also when they're there, they should ask about statistics in terms of the types of places where the students are employed, the types of salaries they get, uh, how long they have to wait to get a job, et cetera. So in, in many ways, what a lot of families are now doing is they're asking these questions of the career placement centers at the colleges as a part of their initial visits, which is something that we recommend.
0: Great. The new rules for college decision-making, we're coming to the end of the show. What would be the four points that you would tell our listeners?
1: Well, I I think the single most important thing is you have to think with your head and with your wallet as well. Hmm. I think that with the debt load, as strong as it is, it's extremely important to make sure that the school is the right fit so visiting the school and really vetting it and making sure it's appropriate makes sense i think another thing is starting early as we talked about because then you're the best consumer when you start early i think another thing that's very very important also is that college needs to be viewed as an experience where things are tried but at the same time you have to be honest with yourself and look back at your high school experience and say these are the things you liked, and therefore you want to see some of those similar things in the college to make sure that they have a lot of what you like Mm -hmm. and i think the last thing in terms of that question which is very very important is i think that students need to spend a bit more time than they typically do at the college before they sign on the dotted line so to speak and typically doing an overnight at the college typically go into a lot of functions for accepted students or at least for prospective students is very very important i think a lot of families tend to spend more time thinking about a vacation that they might take than the specific school that their son or daughter will go to so i think spending time on the campus doing it overnight getting a sense of what the real feel of the school is Mm -hmm. is immensely important
0: eric we're coming to the end of the show how can our listeners get in touch with you
1: Well, the the first thing that they could do is they could go to our website, and our website is greenberg, G-R-E-E-N-B-E-R-G, educationalgroup.com. They could also email me, and if any of the listeners have questions, they can email me directly, eric, E-R-I-C, at greenbergeducationalgroup.com. And for people who still like to use the phone, and there are many. Our telephone number is 212-787-6800, and our uh, office is located in New York City.
0: Well, thank you so much for the enlightenment.
1: My pleasure, Vip, and, and thanks for having me.
0: Thank you, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. Your comments and your follow are so very welcome on my Twitter account at Vip Jazzwell and my Facebook page, The Vip Jazzwell Report. A special shout-out of thanks to my wonderful team, William Sanchez and Rick Buser. Please do visit foxnewsradio.com for my complete library of shows that cover a variety of topics which impact our lives. You'll be spoiled for choice at what I have to offer. Think of it as a candy shop for your ears. I'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. Eastern with more fascinating stories that fill our lives with the inspiration and information we so need to kickstart the week. I wish you a wonderful evening tonight with your family and loved ones and until next Sunday, have a productive and a very happy week ahead.